For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be reading from John 17, 20 through 23. That's right, we are not reading from Hebrews. Yes, so if you turn with me to John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Amen. A young and ambitious businessman came home to his wife and baby very excited one day. He had been given a promotion. And so he announced to his wife, great news, we are moving to Cairo. For some strange reason, however, his wife was not thrilled with the idea of moving to Egypt. And so she responded to her husband by saying, you are moving alone. I'm going home to my mother. I'm not raising my baby in Egypt. It was at that point that the husband began to realize that he and his wife were on a different page as far as their future was concerned. They were divided. And so the husband and the wife recognized that they needed to ask themselves some hard questions if they were going to stay united within their marriage. The husband needed to ask himself, is this just my career or is this our career? Are we just two individuals in our marriage or are we a united team? And the wife needed to ask herself, is this just my baby or is this our baby? And she wanted to ask herself, do I really want to raise this baby by myself? Or do I want my husband alongside to raise this baby with me? The couple ultimately decided to move together to Egypt as a family. But they did not make this decision before they recognized the importance of unity to a family. And this couple made a fresh commitment then to the unity of their marriage. As a result, they were able to move forward together. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying on the night before he dies on the cross. These then are some of Jesus' last words. They are obviously very important then for us to listen to. And what does Jesus pray for? Remarkably, Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, meaning his 12 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We have come to believe in Jesus through the message that the disciples spoke to others, who in turn passed on that message to us. And what did Jesus pray for us, his 21st century disciples? We see in John chapter 17 that Jesus prayed for our unity. Now, why is Christian unity so important to Jesus? Why is it so important that he prayed for that unity for us on the last night of his life? 
Let's look today at Jesus' prayer in John 17 and see three reasons why unity in the church is so important. First of all, we see that our Christian unity reveals God to the world. Jesus' prayer for us is found at the beginning of verse 21. He prays there that they may all be one. We enter the church, according to verse 20, by believing the word of God that was given to Jesus' apostles. When we believe what the apostles wrote about Jesus in the Bible, we become part of the church. And Jesus' prayer for us in the church today is that we may all be one. And when you hear that Jesus wants us to be one, you might think that Jesus simply wants us to love one another. And that is certainly a major part of what it means to be united as a church. Earlier on the night before he died, Jesus had told his disciples these words in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Let's read Jesus' command there together out loud. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love, then, is the defining characteristic of the church. So love is a very important part of the unity that we are to have as the church of Jesus Christ. And if we love each other in the church like Jesus loved us, we are revealing Jesus to the world. But love is not the only thing that Jesus prayed for with regard to our unity as a church. The unity of the church is also unity in truth. It is a unity in truth that we believe about Jesus that has been taught by the apostles according to verse 20. And when I listen to the world talk about unity, I get the feeling that that unity has nothing to do with truth as far as the world is concerned. It is just loving other people regardless of what they believe and regardless of what is true. It is the Beatles singing, All We Need Is Love. That's what most of the world thinks about when they think about unity. But in the church, it is not just love that matters. Truth also matters. Belief matters. And so if we are going to have unity in the church, we're going to believe that certain things are true, and we're going to have unity in those beliefs. Certain things are essential to believe if you're going to call yourself a Christian. And when you read the Gospel of John, you see that it is essential for believers to believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the world's only Savior, that Jesus died on the cross to give us eternal life, and that Jesus rose from the dead. All Christians believe these things are essential to our faith in Christ. But there are some things that we as individual Christians believe that are not essential to our faith. We can agree or disagree agreeably with other Christians about certain non-essential beliefs. We are united then on certain essential doctrines and truths, but we are free to disagree about other non-essential beliefs. This means that I can 
benefit then from the teaching of many different Christians who hold to the same essential beliefs that I do. And so when I was preaching through the book of Hebrews, I greatly enjoyed studying a commentary written by a fellow Baptist like myself. And while I was preparing for this sermon this week, I enjoyed reading commentaries by someone who is part of my Evangelical Free Church Seminary, written by a bunch of people who are good Swedes. I also enjoyed reading a good commentary by a Presbyterian pastor. These teachers and these pastors might disagree on some small items of the faith, some non-essential doctrines, but they all agree on the essential truths about Jesus. So what does this mean for you and for me? It means that we as a church must unite on certain core doctrines. Yes, the truth matters for us as Christians. But we cannot and we will not unite on every single issue. We just won't. So what does the unity that is so important to Jesus look like in a church? where we don't agree with each other on non-essential issues. To me, that unity looks like humility. It looks like me saying, this other person might be right on this issue, and I might be wrong. But regardless of who is right or wrong, I am committed to serving Jesus together with this other Christian no matter what. That is my commitment. I will not destroy the unity of this church over a non-essential belief. Can you say that? Can you? That's what we need to come to as a church. Now, I may not be the most observant person in the world, but I have noticed something when I have gone on Facebook in recent days. People look like this particular picture that I brought with me today. This is how they appear. People are divided from each other. Has anyone else noticed this today? Have you seen that? Especially on Facebook, you've probably seen it. When people post something on Facebook, the things that they say indicate that they are always right and their opponents are always wrong, and not only wrong, but stupid. But is that the way a Christian should write? Is that the way a Christian should treat other people? I don't think so. We Christians should write and live in such a way that we not only speak the truth, but we also need to promote unity with other people. We need to promote unity not only with those who agree with us, but also with those who in some ways disagree with us. So if we were to live in unity with others in the church, even with those that we sometimes disagree with, what would the world conclude about us? They would say, these Christians are different. They love even those that they disagree with. There must be something supernatural going on in that church. It's just not normal to love those that you disagree with. We also see the supernatural unity of our church in verses 21 and 22. 
In verse 21, we see that the unity we Christians are to have is to be just like the unity between God the Father and Jesus the Son. We are to be one, Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The Father and the Son are two different persons, but they are one in unity. And the same thing is to be true for us as Christians. We are different from each other, and yet we are one. How can this be? It must be something supernatural that brings us together. Our unity together as believers must be the same as the unity between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And if we Christians have that kind of unity, we are revealing something about God to the world. We are revealing the unity and the love of the Father and the Son for one another. Jesus, we read in verse 22, revealed the glory of God to his disciples and to us. He revealed that glory by being God in the flesh. And why has Jesus revealed God's glory to us? So that we might be one, just as God the Father and Jesus are one. As we do that, we bring glory to our great God. Unity is so important to Jesus. That's why Jesus prayed for it on the last night of his life. So let us as a church then be one, so that Jesus' vital prayer for his church might be answered. Our Christian unity reveals God to the world. Secondly, our Christian unity reveals God's love to us. Jesus says something breathtaking about our unity in verse 23. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus says at the beginning of verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He goes on to pray to God the Father in this verse. You sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So what is Jesus saying in this prayer? He is saying that you as a Christian have been caught up in the same love that God the Father has for his son, Jesus. If you are a Christian... God loves you with the very same love that he has for Jesus Christ. Is that amazing? Isn't that incredible? That God would love me, a sinner, a rebel, as much as he loves his son? That is amazing. What an amazing blessing that I am able to experience the love of God like that for me. If you truly knew that you were loved by God in the same way that God loves Jesus, how would you feel today? How would you feel if you knew that you were loved by God as much as God loves Jesus? Here are some words that come to mind. Joyful. Secure. Content. Peaceful. Fulfilled, right? 
I mean, you would have to feel that way if you knew that God loved you with the same love that he loved his son, Jesus Christ. You knew that you were loved in the same way and the same intensity and fervor with which the Father loves the Son. You would be overwhelmed to know that you were so deeply loved by God the Father. But here's the question I have for you today. In what context do we experience the love of God for us? How do we find that love of God for us? It is within the context of our unity with other Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Look again at verse 21. Jesus prays there that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. And so if you want to experience the oneness that God the Father has with Jesus the Son, you must then experience love with other believers. If you want to know the love of God for you, what is this going to require of you? It requires that you have spiritual unity with other people in your church. As you experience love and unity with other Christians, you also experience love and unity with God. But unfortunately, the opposite is also true. If you cannot find love and unity with other people in your church, you will also miss out on experiencing and finding love in your relationship with God. How greatly then should we hate it that any individual grievance or preference or agenda of our own should divide God's family and should decrease our experience of God's love at work both within us and within our brother and sister. A man named Professor Smith taught a class at a Bible school. And one day he brought into class this large target, which looked like a, a bullseye, which you might find at the Target store. And he placed that target on the bulletin board within the classroom. Professor Smith told his students that he wanted them that day to draw a picture of someone that they were angry with or someone they disliked. He then showed them three darts that he had brought with them to class that day. And he said that all of his students would have an opportunity to throw those three darts at the picture of the person that they disliked after they hung that picture on the target. And so the students quickly got to work. It didn't take them very long to think about someone who had made them angry. One student drew a picture of a woman who had stolen her boyfriend. Another drew a picture of her younger brother. And one student even drew a picture of Professor Smith. I guess he had given him a bad grade on one of his papers one day. So anyway, the class began to line up. They hung their pictures on the target, and then they began to throw their three darts. Some students threw their darts with so much force that they ripped apart their targets. Well, after they had thrown their darts at the objects of their anger, the professor began his lecture that day by removing the target from the bulletin board. And the students were shocked to discover that underneath the target 
Professor Smith had placed a picture of Jesus. Suddenly the class got very quiet. The Bible school students saw the mangled image of their Savior, Jesus. He had holes and jagged marks covering his entire face. Jesus' eyes were virtually pierced out. Professor Smith began his lecture with only these words from Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40. I'd like for us to read that verse together as a church. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Church, your brothers and sisters in this church are so united to God and to Jesus that when you hurt your fellow Christian, it is like you are hurting Jesus himself. That is what you are doing. Do you understand that? But the good news is this. When you do or say something good to a Christian brother or sister in this church, it is just like you are doing something good for Jesus, your Savior. What an opportunity, then, we have to show love for Jesus by loving other people from our church. And what an opportunity we also have to experience God's love for us as we do good for others and seek the unity of our church. Our Christian unity helps us to experience the love of God for us. And finally, our Christian unity grows the church. Two times in this passage, Jesus speaks about how the church grows in size as a result of our unity as Christians. We read in verse 21, Christ's prayer that we may all be one. For what purpose? At the end of the verse we read, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, the unity of the church is supposed to be so compelling to the world, so inexplicable to the world, without a supernatural explanation, that our witness as to who Jesus is only becomes explainable if Jesus is truly both one with God and one with us in the church. When the world hears us speak the truth of the gospel, that is good and necessary. But the gospel needs to be both show and tell. And how do we show the world that the gospel is true? By our unity with and our love for one another. When we joyfully sacrifice for each other, when we love one another as Christians, the world can see that it is true that God did so love the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The love of the Christians for one another is a sign of the love that God and Christ have put within them. And when the world sees this kind of love and unity within the church, some of the people in the world will believe the gospel message that is both show and tell. The church then will grow because of our unity with one another. 
A similar kind of purpose statement for the church is found in verse 23. Jesus prays there that we and the church may become perfectly one. Again, for what purpose? The verse goes on to say, So that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Our unity has a major impact on the unbelieving world. Therefore, the mission that Jesus gave to us of making more disciples of his relies in large part on our unity in the faith. If we are united in love and in faith with one another, more disciples will be made. And if we are not united, not so many disciples will be made. A church full of love and of unity with one another cannot fail to gain the world's attention. Bruce Milne has said this, a group of Christians who are so knit together in the love of God that others can say of them, look how they love each other, is a church where the gospel will be the power of God for salvation. When my sons became teenagers, it was not so hard for me to see if they had completed their cleaning responsibilities around the house. All I had to do was to conduct the smell test. Did they wash the dishes that night? Well, my eyes could tell me if they had washed the dishes, but my nose could tell me the same thing. If I was sitting in the living room a few hours after dinner, and I could smell food still coming from our kitchen a few hours later, I knew the dishes had not been washed. And if I walked into their bedroom, it didn't take very long to figure out if their clothes and their bed sheets had been washed. The smell test did not lie. And the smell test also worked in the bathroom. If the bathroom was supposed to be clean, I wanted to smell bleach or something like it. I definitely did not want to smell something else that you normally associate with an unclean bathroom. Church, do you realize what guests are doing when they walk into our church? They are all conducting the smell test. The church claims to be a place where the truth is told about God and Christ and His great love for us. But if people walk into our church and they smell disunity, they smell anger, they smell bitterness, you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk out and they're going to say, this church is telling a lie. They will smell it. We will not be showing with our deeds what we are telling with our mouths. But if they smell love and unity here, they will want to come back. They will want to experience for themselves the love and the unity that God has with his people. The church will grow because of our love and our unity with one another. So church, we need to enjoy and to protect the unity of this church. 
We need to enjoy unity because that unity gives us an experience of the incredible love of God for us. When we are one with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we experience what it is like to be one with God. There is nothing like the love of God. And so we must protect the unity of our church if we want to experience God's love for us. We cannot let anything harm that unity or destroy it. We must maintain the unity of the church so that we can reveal God to the world and so that we can grow Christ's church. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you today for this prayer that Jesus prayed for us in the 21st century. We thank you for this prayer that Jesus prayed that we might be one as a church. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us to have that unity for another. We pray if there is any unforgiveness here today, any bitterness, any anger. I pray that the love of Jesus, who died on the cross to forgive us, will overflow from us to those who have hurt us. Make us one. Make us united so that your church will grow and so that we will have a deeper experience of your love for us. In your great name we pray. Amen.